Let me read uh, to you from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together and the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them, and Jesus said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Well, it's still Easter. Easter, you know, the season of Easter lasts for 50 days. And so today is the second Sunday of Easter. Traditionally, it's known as Low Sunday. And uh, the reason it's called Low Sunday is it's kind of a letdown after last week. Because you come here last week and you celebrate the resurrection and it's Easter and, you know, everything's big and it's exciting. And then you come here this week. It's kind of like standing in the reception hall after the wedding's over. And the bride and groom have left the building. And so have most of the other people. And you're just kind of standing there looking around and, you know, a few of the helium-filled balloons are on the floor now. And uh, there's some crumpled up napkins on the tables. Um, the celebration is, is over. So how now do we live in light of what has just happened? And what we, we can't celebrate it like that every Sunday, but how do we go on living now? And that's what this series, Risen, is about. How do we live in the day-to-day, ordinary life, how do we live the resurrection? How do we continue to live uh, with that understanding and that faith that Jesus is alive? What difference does that make in how we live? And so that's what we're going to be talking about. So it was evening of the first Easter, and the disciples were all huddled together in a room. They had heard the announcement that we talked about last week, but they didn't believe it. Uh, They were afraid. They had the doors locked because they were afraid that the same people who did Jesus in were going to come and find them, and they didn't want to be nailed to a cross. So they were hiding. It was fear. (laughs) They, They were living in fear, and they were paralyzed with fear. And despite two dead bolts, a brand new padlock, and a door, uh, a ring doorbell, Jesus showed up in the room, and he said, Shalom, and he smiled, and they looked at the wounds, the scars on his hands and his feet, and they were overjoyed, because then they realized the announcement was true, and so these two verses, uh, they really say a lot to us, and, and, and these verses, along with several others, are foundational to some of our theology, When Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a bodily resurrection. Uh, Jesus was not some disembodied spirit that was floating around the room talking to them. He had a body, and they they recognized his body. Um, You know, and every Sunday morning in our church, in the first service, and in liturgical churches all over the world, people recite the Apostles' Creed. And one of the lines in the Apostles' Creed is, I believe 
and the resurrection of the body. And it's this understanding that, that after death there is new life and there is a new, a new body. And uh, it, it wasn't, you know, Jesus was present with them in a body. Now, it wasn't the same body he had before the crucifixion. God didn't take Jesus' old body and just resuscitate it. His old body couldn't just appear in rooms. But it, somehow his new body resembled his old body enough that they recognized him. The disciples knew it was Jesus. The apostle Paul taught that the resurrection meant a new life and a new body. And it wasn't the same old life, it wasn't the same old body. So, so if we're going to have a new body after the resurrection, then people always ask, what's it going to be like? And, uh, and Paul used the example of a seed that grows into a plant. And, and for me, uh, you know, I always, I always imagine like a watermelon seed. And if you look at a watermelon seed, and then you look at a watermelon... I mean, the watermelon is a continuation of that seed, but it looks nothing like that seed. And, and in the same way, Paul says, whatever a resurrection body is like, it is a continuation of, of who we are here because people recognize us, but it will be something totally different. And if you had never seen a watermelon there is no way in the world you could look at that seed and envision what a watermelon looked like. There's just no way. And that's kind of where we are. We, we can look at what our bodies are now, and we can read what the Bible says about what they'll be then, but there's no way we can envision what, what that's going to be. Uh, but, it, but it is a continuation of who we are here, and we'll still be recognized for who we are, but it's beyond what we can imagine. And so Jesus says, peace be with you. Or he said, shalom. Or he said, be whole. They all mean the same thing. Because he knew that they were a shattered bunch. Their lives had been shattered. Their dreams had been shattered. Their hopes had been shattered. And now Jesus stood before them. Not exactly the same Jesus they'd followed around for three years, but a risen Jesus. Enough, uh, the same that they recognized him, but different enough that he gave them hope. When Jesus of Nazareth, who was about to be crucified, told his disciples, peace be with you. It was, it was a, a, a peace spoken with, this, with faith and hope that God would be able to see him and the disciples through everything they were about to go through. But now... When the risen Christ stands before them and says, peace be with you. It's a peace that's been through the fire and has come out on the other side. It's been tested and found true. And then he did something that I think is absolutely fascinating. He showed them the wounds, the scars or the wounds that were in his hands and in his feet, and in his side. And, and I am indebted to Nadia Bolsweber for pointing out the significance of this because I'd never really thought about it like this before. Jesus' body had scars. Scars where the nails had been. Scars where the spear had been. 
And there were other scars too, I'm sure. Um, then there were the scars that you can't see, the scars that came from betrayal and abandonment. And, and this text in Nadia made me start thinking about scars and the scars we have on our, on our bodies. We, we all carry around scars. I mean, all of us. I, ha I have a six-inch scar on my leg where um, the doctors put my leg back together after a horse I was riding fell on me. Uh, you know, I have scars on my shoulders and, 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 and hands from road rash uh, where I went down the road after I was hit by a car on my bicycle. Uh, we, we, you, you could, you, you know the scars on your body. You, you could name them and the, you could remember the event that happened when you got them. Uh, we, we all have these scars that we carry with us. And then, of course, there are those scars you can't see. But I find it fascinating that his resurrection body has scars. I mean, you think about it. If God gives us a new body, you think God would make all things new. And, you know, we talk about when we die and go to heaven, we, we get a new body. I mean, if you have a loved one who's ever suffered through an illness and they finally passed away and, and we know that they're going to heaven, I mean, what is one of the things we always say? Well, they're not suffering anymore. Now they have a body that doesn't have disease. Now they have a body. If they couldn't walk, now they have a body they can walk. Whatever these things were, we, we look and we think about a resurrection body as, as being free of, of, of disease and of, of ailments and all those things. We'll never be sick again. We'll never be hungry or thirsty again. And, you know, I picture outside the gates of heaven, there's a big pile of wheelchairs and walkers and oxygen tanks that nobody's going to be needing anymore. We all leave them there. And, and I believe that. But here... Jesus in this resurrection body still has his wounds. And he showed them to the disciples and that's how they knew for sure that it was him. Now, I don't know if our resurrection bodies will still have scars or not. But imagine that. A heavenly body, perfect in every other way, yet still has scars. The scars we picked up here in this life. Maybe the scars we accumulate are more sacred than we think they are. And I don't know about our resurrected body, but I do know about our resurrected lives. Because even after we become followers of Jesus, the scars and the wounds that we carry with us are still there. God doesn't miraculously make them go away. When we accept the announcement that Jesus is alive and we commit ourselves to trying to follow Jesus, those scars and wounds are still there and, and God doesn't cover them up or God doesn't ask us to hide them. I mean, you think about it. I mean, we live our lives in this body. <laughs> so this body carries with it, you know, all the scars of all of our living. When we get injured, it was usually done to our bodies. Every pleasure we've ever experienced, we've experienced through our bodies. We carry them around with us. And the wounds and the scars are always there. They're always a part of who we are. And so maybe Jesus still had his scars 
to show us that that's how God works with us as well. Because when we are given a new life and we become followers of Jesus, in our new life, we still have scars. They don't just go away or get miraculously healed. They're still there. And, and we live our lives in light of the resurrection, but we still bear these wounds and these scars. And instead of being something to be ashamed of and hide, they may be the greatest resource we have for reaching out and helping people around us. In his famous little book, The Wounded Healer, Henry Nowen tells this legend that he found in the Talmud. It goes like this. Rabbi Yahshua ben Levi came upon Elijah the prophet while he was standing at the entrance of Rabbi Simeron ben Yohai's cave. And he asked Elijah, when will the Messiah come? Elijah replied, go and ask him yourself. Where is he? Sitting at the gates of the city. How shall I know him? He's sitting among the poor covered with wounds. Others unbind all their wounds at the same time and then bind them up again. But he unbinds one wound at a time and binds it up again, saying to himself, perhaps I will be needed, so I must always be ready so as not to delay for a moment. We talk about how Jesus was perfect, and he was. We talk about how Jesus was sinless, and he was. But Isaiah didn't mention a perfect Messiah. He said, it is by his wounds that we are healed. By his wounds, Jesus brings us salvation. By his wounds, Jesus makes us whole. And I believe that's how it works for all of us. As followers of Jesus, the best thing we have to offer is our woundedness. God doesn't take our wounds and hurts and cover them up. God takes our wounds and our hurts and he transforms them into compassion for other people's wounds and other people's pain. And we're not perfect physicians bearing healing to the world around us. We are wounded people who reach out to other wounded people and tell them about the grace of God that has gotten us through and that will get them through. Now, some of you have been thinking that your wounds and your scars disqualify you from serving God, and nothing could be further from the truth. It is our wounds and our scars that make us useful. It's our wounds and our scars that God uses to help other people in their woundedness. The grace that has helped us overcome our wounds is exactly what people around us need to hear and need to know. A resurrected life is not a life without scars, but a resurrected life is one in which we have learned to really live, scars and all. Amen.